Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and you're listening to Why Do Pets Matter, the podcast that brings infinitely interesting people to the microphone to talk to us about why pets matter to them. And today I'm so honored to have a repeat guest, my dear friend Nadine Hamilton from Down Under, Australia. She is the author of Coping with Stress and Burnout as a Veterinarian, best-selling book, especially in the veterinary world, to help them understand how to live their best lives. She's also um, the president of Positive Psych Solutions, because she's a psychologist, and also Love Your Pet, Love Your Vet, which is hand-in-hand hand part of the burnout and, and um, stress discussion between veterinarians and clients. Because if you love your vet and love your pet, then everybody's going to come together in a better way. So Nadine, thank you so much for coming back. Oh, thank you. Lovely to be here and chat again. <laughs> I know it's it's been um, a whole different world since the last time we spoke. Certainly has, certainly has. <laughs> so much has happened, hasn't it? And I think it's uh, thrown us all into a state of shock. Absolutely, and for sure, um, coping with uh, stress and burnout as a veterinarian now with the new COVID rules that are in process all over the world, not just in the United States or in Australia, but all over the world. And I know we've spoken to people here in the United States and as well as Australia. I mean, I spoke to um, Scott Ames, who's an attorney there in Australia, and he said, you know, pet owners are getting crazy. How are you finding the new normal, the way in which veterinarians have had to address uh, pet care once everything opened up a little bit, um, and how pet owners are dealing with the stress of this pet care? Mm-hmm. I think it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, like When it first hit, I think it sort of just threw everybody into turmoil, and it was like everyone would just went into crisis mode like oh my gosh what do we have to do how are we going to do this how can we still keep our clinics open and treat the pets um so here I suppose like most other places we did the curbside service I think it was um particularly difficult for some particularly for the pet owners where their animal was being euthanized and they weren't allowed in the consult room when it happened um so i do know a, a few vets that were like doing the procedure in the client's car or some that had a nice garden area out the back of the clinic and they'd just take the family out there um i think that was quite stressful for for a lot of people again as a pet owner myself i would have I, I don't know if I could have coped with that. I'm like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to come to, come to something here because I'm not leaving my pet by themselves. Um, 
And then also I think a lot of the, the stress was around the split shifts. So they, um, a lot of the clinics obviously doing the split shifts. So if one team got affected, the, the practice could still run um, because they tended to do longer hours but fewer days. And then what we sort of found um, maybe up until about a month ago um, when some of the restrictions started to ease here in Australia is the staff were exhausted. They were just saying, gosh, there's such long days, even though they're having more days off, but it's, you know, the time at work for those long days. And some of them were missing their colleagues, you know, missing their... Um, their teammates who they normally, you know, would often work on shifts together and now they were just completely separate shifts. Um, The extra procedures, I think, um, you know, because having to take phone calls from the clients when the client rings when they get to the clinic, going out to the car, bringing the pet back into the clinic, then having, you know, to phone the client again to give them their consult, then taking the pet back out. And um, I think a lot of that has added um, to a lot of that additional pressure. Um, But on the other hand, I know that there have been some vets in particular who have enjoyed the contactless sessions um, and not having the face-to-face sessions. There's actually been memes that have done the rounds um, over here. I haven't seen them yet. I was hoping someone would send them to me because I wanted to see what they said. But um, certainly just not having to have that face-to-face interaction with the clients. I know some have actually found it easier doing a phone consult and finding it easier to communicate without that face-to-face interaction and all of that happening. Um, So I think, yeah, like we're just starting to go back to normal shifts here. I think maybe the last two or three weeks for some clinics that that's happened. And I think that's sort of like starting to ease a little bit of the stress because the, the staff, again, were sort of saying they were, they were getting burnt out with just, you know, these really, really long hours and really long days. Um, we just, again, all the practices are, are different, um, but the clinic where I go to, we're back down to being allowed to go into the clinic still with our social distancing, only so many people like in the reception area at a time, but one person is allowed to go into the consult room now. So that's how we started. Then it was like no one was allowed in the clinic and then now we're going back. So we're sort of getting back into that a little bit. I think the teams, like the vet staff themselves, have done an absolutely incredible job um, and adapted very well. But I think it's sort of started to take its toll with so them getting exhausted. We all talk all the time about, you know, why we love our pets. You know, why do pets matter? So during COVID, pets have really mattered to pet owners, I think, even more than they did before. One, because they're home with them all the time now. And, and so there is more observation. Two, they have a little more... Um, money to expend. And so they are finding that taking care of the pet is affordable now. Um, but I, I find, as you do, that a lot of veterinarians prefer this, you know, drop-off pickup than to have the client in the room. And how have you heard from your veterinarian colleagues, and then I'll tell you what I've heard from the pet owners, um, how did that land with the, the clients of these veterinarians? What did they observe of their clients? Um, I haven't actually heard too many negative things. Um, I have heard the occasional story of, um, you know, people coming into the clinic who have had in the very early days returned from overseas and were supposed to be quarantined and and weren't. Um, Obviously, that was a stress that puts on the practice because they're they're being potentially exposed. Um, So there's a 
a few, I guess, irresponsible people, but, you know, they're trying to do the right thing for their pet and feel like it's a catch-22. Like, what do you do in those situations if you are in forced self-quarantine but your pet gets sick? You know, no one's allowed to come into your house. You're not allowed to go out. That's, you know, could be an issue. Um, I think, yeah, I haven't, as I said, really heard too much negativity um, from it. I think most people, as I said, have adapted well. And I think people have just been grateful that they've still been able to get their pet to the vet, um, you know, and having that service. I mean, we've had, um, you know, some mixed media coverage over different stories that have gone on during this time. So that's probably had a little bit of a um, impact on things. But I think overall, I think people have just gone, this is the way it is. We're just lucky that we can take our pet out. Certainly, I think there's been owners um, who have been bored and just it's like this is one of the places I can go just to get out of home so they take their pet to the vet Um, because I was concerned when COVID started that people wouldn't be able to afford it. You know, we had a lot of job losses over here as as a lot of other um, countries and, yeah, my concern was that people wouldn't be in a position to be able to afford it and, you know, because some people if they're already complaining about the costs as it is, you know, when they are working and they do have some income, what's it going to be like when they have zero income? So I, I was actually concerned about that, but I think it's been the opposite. They have been um, quite busy. A lot of the vets are sort of saying, oh, my gosh, we've been really, really busy, um, which is, I think, couple of reasons you know one is because they've been at home and they want an excuse to go out because they've you know got cabin fever um another you know being able to be at home and spend more time with their pets and notice if things aren't right or it may be I finally now have the time to go and get Fluffy's rash checked out and so they're doing it um but I mean here we've been very very lucky you know that we have had a lot of government support um you know and and payments you know we have a job keeper and job seeker payments depending what what category you fall into so um you know my my opinion we've been very lucky that our government has supported us financially so people have had the funds to go and do that you know if they're saving money on transportation costs and not having to put you know pay for train fares to go somewhere or you know we're not paying on travel exactly absolutely so you know there has been a little bit more money I guess in that respect for some people um so they're like wow okay I mean and and over here our petrol has been really really cheap um you know and in some cases nearly you know close to a dollar a litre cheaper than normal so you know you go and fill up the car and because we're not going anywhere it's lasting you know we've got a full tank for a month um so it's sort of like wow okay I don't have to put money in my you know petrol in my car every week because I haven't been going to work and um you know so I think there has been that you know the retail stores have been closed so people haven't been able to been there but then they're probably doing it online I mean I don't know but um I think yeah I think there's there's definitely been some some good aspects out of it um I think probably the other thing is with fostering animals and I think that that's been the same particularly in the US um where people of the fostering rate of animals has gone up and the adoption rate of animals has gone up I just worry what will happen when people go back to work. Um, will they, you know, still have the time to put into it and, and all of those sorts of Hopefully things. the but animals think- will be really well trained by then. Um, or exactly. if they do have to return them, they've already had a good head start on how to be a good pet. So that yes. might be make them more adoptable than they would have been just sitting in the shelter. So that's really yes. great. Um, yeah. 
So for me, the pet owners have not necessarily appreciated um, the no They're appreciative that they can see the vet. Uh, they're not appreciative that they can't see the vet. The dog can see the vet, the cat can see the vet, but they can't see the vet. So that's been a little stressful for them. And I know we talked last time about the fact that veterinary medicine is the highest form uh, profession with suicide. And I'm sure that with a lot of clients getting stressed because they can't be in with their pet. Like you said, if you have to put your pet to sleep and you can't go in and see it, um, the vet is trying to do the best for the animal, yet the owner is really stressed. How do they do that? Um, When we um, talked before we got on this podcast, we talked about how so many conferences for veterinarians, both for their well-being and for their education, have gone online. And you've been um, just constantly bombarded with let us speak, let us speak, let us speak, because they want to know more about what it is you do with respect to um, helping people cope with stress and burnout in veterinary medicine. Yet sometimes a lot of these programs are focused um, on just veterinarians speaking to veterinarians. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation about that, that maybe it's time for veterinarians to branch out a little bit and have someone who has some different knowledge uh, to come up and have a conversation. Mm, absolutely. And um, couldn't agree more. <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I'm biased, but, you know, I think there's a place for all of these occupations. I mean, we're all, I guess, um, if you want to say experts or we're all very knowledgeable and qualified in our own right. And one of the analogies I use, um, because I've, I've seen it and I've heard it, you know, I've been told firsthand that there are some veterinarians that want to keep things within the veterinary industry. Um, it's okay, that's great, but that's sort of like saying, oh, well, I've broken my arm, but I'll deal with it myself because I don't want to go and see or my I'll doctor. Go to a dentist. I'll go to a dentist because yes. yeah. exactly. I am a dentist and I think dentists can do anything. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, there's, there's certain things where it's, it doesn't really matter. Okay. Maybe I'm not going to get, um, you know, my document proofread by somebody, you know, by a typing expert or a proofreader. Is that going to be a life and death issue? It depends what the document is, obviously, but it may not be as serious as when we're talking about mental health and wellbeing. Um, you know, that would be like me saying, well, because I don't want to go outside of my own profession, which is psychology, Therefore, when my pets are sick, I'm going to go and ask my psychologist friends and colleagues for advice about their health and well-being because I don't want to go external to my own profession. You know, yeah. And that's what I'm seeing happening in the vet industry, um, that they don't want to go outside to other professions, You know, particularly for mental health. There is a stigma towards it. And so they're looking either to their vet colleagues for how to deal with their well-being and their mental health or their vet colleagues are offering those services on wellbeing and mental health. Um, you know, and I, obviously I'm very vocal um, about this because I know how dangerous it can be if Especially you are. Especially with the risk of suicide. You know, if it was just 100%. wellbeing, because yoga and breathing and meditation are all things that people can become proficient Absolutely. in and help others to become proficient in. But if you're seriously suffering with stress exactly. and burnout, and um, suicidal to yes. to not um, uh, encourage someone to use a mental health professional can actually exactly. be the difference between life exactly. and death. 
And, I mean, and I've seen it firsthand, uh, you know, particularly when I had my general practice where I used to offer coaching services. So I would have people coming to me that wanted coaching because there was a stigma to counselling. So, oh, no, I don't want counselling. I want coaching. And I'd say, okay, well, what's going on for you? You know, they would have like serious, severe depression and would want coaching. I'm like, we can't coach your way out of depression. We need to treat the depression first and then we do coaching. And what you know has happened um, to a supervisor of mine who used to be a coach and had a coaching client turn up, she worked from home, turn up on her doorstep at 7pm one evening who was suicidal. You know, and I'll, I'll never forget my supervisor saying that if I wasn't skilled and I didn't have the capacity to deal with that, what would the outcome have been? And that's, you know, a big concern when you're coaching in this mental health and wellbeing space you have to have a really good understanding of mental health because, you know, as psychologists, you know, here in Australia, we have to like basically train and do our study and supervision for six years before we're allowed to practice on our own. So that's a six year process. So that's longer than becoming a vet here in Australia, which is a five year for your your bachelor's. We have to do this for six years, you know, and there's a reason why it takes six years. You have to understand mood disorders, personality disorders, all of the, the whole gamut of things that go on, you know, in, in mental health and in the psyche. And when you're dealing with people like in a coaching capacity or they're talking to you about mental health, you have to understand how would you know if that person had borderline personality disorder? How would you know if this person had bipolar? And how would you deal with that? If this person is clinically depressed, you can't just coach them out of that. You have to deal with the underlying stuff it's not the tip of the iceberg it's the underlying stuff and that's where the change happens and what I see is with the from the coaching perspective where they're not um, like a psychologist in particular you know I have that mental health um, qualification they're dealing with the tip of the iceberg the band-aid solutions and unless you get down to beneath the surface it's not going to change you know and that's why it takes us six years minimum to get to that stuff to understand that and that's why I think it's dangerous because we are dealing with life and death you know, if somebody comes to you and they're suicidal, they might be totally fine. I'm like, yeah, great. This is great. I'm going really well. Yep, sure, I'll adopt your, your suggestion for this and that. And then what happens when all of a sudden it's too much? How, how do you deal with that? And, again, that's how that is handled could be crucial and could be the difference between, between life. life and death. You know, I, I often think that, you know, most of us who are in a different profession who have now um, sort of given our lives over to assisting veterinarians, you with their mental health and um, well-being, and me with their conflict resolution, which they're also terrible at, um, it, it really is something that is not yet mainstream, but hopefully it will be because if we remove the conflicts that happen between clients and veterinarians, not remove them because we can't, because clients are emotional people, as you, you and I have spoken to before in our last podcast, yep. um, they're emotional people and they may be totally um, irresponsible, irreverent, uh, just craziness personified because this is their animal and they love it. Mm -hmm. And if we can help veterinarians know where they are in their, in their, that's what you do. And then for me, I help them hold a safe space for themselves and not take on that um, ridicule and upsetment because it is owned by the pet owner. But it doesn't mean to ignore it. It just simply means you understand that this is this person's vision. This is this person's perception. 
And between you and I, we help them not take it on and really become um, depressed and anxious. Mm, absolutely. And really, it's giving them the, the tools, um, you know, and it's not like we're just, <laughs> we just fancy ourselves as, you know, experts in these areas. You know, we, we're qualified in what we're doing. And I personally, I'm a stickler for qualifications. So I like to make sure that the people that I'm working with, you know, on a personal level, if it's for my own health or whatever I'm doing, whether it's for my business, that they're qualified, you know, in doing that. Um, you know, and I, I think just to be clear, like from the coaching, like I don't have an issue with, you know, vets coaching other vets, like on the clinical side of things. Neither do I. Yeah. And, and because I think I'm not, I'm not a vet, so that's not my area. But specifically with the mental health stuff and when it gets into the, the wellness and the well-being, but I think, you know, it's a holistic approach when we look at those contributing factors to the high burnout and suicide, um, you know, and dealing with difficult customers is up there in the top five. Um, and I would say my experience would be in the top two um, alongside the financial issues. Then, you know, this is, these are the kind of things that we need to equip them with. You know, traditionally, um, the majority of vets, you know, get into working with animals because one, they, they love animals, but two, they don't want to deal with people and don't realise that when you're in this profession, somebody is responsible for that animal. You know, most cases there's going to be a human attached to that animal, whether it's a carer, whether it's the owner, you know, or someone responsible. So there's going to be that human interaction. And if this is, yeah, a hundred percent. And if, if they've got to deal with that, and we know that dealing with difficult clients is one of the most stressful things and the biggest contributing or one of the biggest contributing factors, how do we help with that? You know, while working through, you know, effective communication skills, the conflict resolution, you know, nipping it in the bud before it gets to that point of requiring mediation or, uh, you know, if someone's going to sue somebody over it, you know, we need to be proactive about these things. And, we, we've got the means to the ends to do that. We it's really just, do. I, we really do. And, and, you know, it's interesting because what I see is that when veterinarians help veterinarians decide how to treat clients who are, you know, troublemakers or bad apples or bad seeds or whatever, it's with that bias and that lens that they look through because they're all in the same spot. And if they take the opportunity to see it through a different lens, they often can address it in a broader way that actually enables them to, as you said, nip it in the bud, um, but to stop it from escalating and to allow everyone to understand each other's perspective and perception. And I think that's the thing that when you stick with people of like mind, so all the veterinarians, all the vet staff, if they stick together, that's different from the veterinarian's brain, right? That's a whole different mm-hmm. viewpoint. If you stick together, you often miss the opportunity to really find an easy solution. It's sort mm-hmm. of like the, I don't know if you ever heard this story. So in the United States, you have this story. There was um, a truck that couldn't get through the um Holland Tunnel, uh, and it just, it was too high. It couldn't go in. So the police were thinking about taking the, you know, the wheels off and they were going to download it to another smaller truck and this and that. And the little child drove by with her parents and she said, why don't you let some air out of the tires? (laughs) That did the trick. 
<laughs> and that's a different perspective. I think, you know, to 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 really put it a fine point on it, the fact that we bring a different perspective that might actually help you as a veterinarian or vet staff communicate better with your staff, your client, your veterinarian. I mean, I bring it to the pet owners as well as the veterinarians, and you bring the veterinarians and their staff. You know, we we bring that so that we give them the power to really choose whether or not they want to escalate or they want to really just mm. nip it. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and, and to think about if we could have those conversations, I mean, I don't, well, I don't know anyone who enjoys conflict um, and having difficult conversations, but unfortunately, you know, as human beings, there's going to be those situations, whether it's at the grocery store and someone, you know. And it's always animals, believe me, the worst of conflicts because you love your animals so much, Mm. you aren't necessarily your best self. Yes. Yep. And so it's, it's knowing and having the tools to do that. And I think, imagine how different it would be. And I know a number of vets have said this, you know, um, and I think that's why they have enjoyed the contactless um, client contact, uh, you know, the face-to-face contact during this COVID um, because they're not having to deal with all of that. So imagine if that went back and they still had the confidence, you know, to be able to talk to those clients. So, I mean, what are they doing differently just because it's not face-to-face? How is it different if they're still having the conversations but they're feeling much more confident in what they're saying because they haven't got somebody there potentially judging them in their mind or watching them or the body language and all of that going on? It's still the same words. You still have, you're still getting I'm the same. I'm so message. glad you said that because it's how I look when I say it to you, and how I perceive how mm. you look when you say it to me. You know, it's, exactly. it's all about perspective and perception. Yes. So we've talked about COVID tonight. We've talked about the fact that the curbside was a little bit more exhausting for a lot of veterinarians, and really took them to um, and their staff to the edge because they missed being in their usual procedure, their usual um, situation, and with their usual colleagues. Um, the contactless um, sessions were actually a little preferred uh, because yeah. <laughs> it was something that some vets really um, thrive on because mm. they can they can talk words. It's sort of we both know that mm. veterinarians are incredible perfectionists, and so if they read it in a book, they can remember it. And maybe contactless uh, client interactions is more like reading it out of a book as opposed to having to deal with people's emotion. And finally, you know, the people who are coming in, um, their bias as well as uh, the veterinarian's bias may not make them able to um, understand the needs of the pet or the needs of the veterinarian or the needs of the client at this time? Because you said you thought maybe some of the the clients were going because they just wanted to get out and they'd take Mm -hmm. care of Fluffy's rash today. And and that, you know, that might be something that the veterinarian, if it's an emergency, because here in the United States, the veterinarians are only open for emergencies. Okay. So it was was different. And then we got off on just one other um, piece of why do pets matter? Because we want to help veterinarians and their staff really engage in a way that serves them. So hiring people in the outside world who actually um, focus on helping people talk to people, feel better about themselves, recognize issues in their own emotional um, self of anxiety, depression, that are trained to do that, um, conflict that are trained to do that so that they can better understand how to take those next steps. So those, those three things have been just wonderful. And I'm, I'm always grateful when you come back because you bring such a fine point to 
the necessity for the stigma to be taken away from mental hygiene. I mean, we all participate in dental hygiene, personal hygiene, but we don't You really participate in mental hygiene. Exactly. And, and part exactly. of that is engaging with someone who really gets it, um, which, is, which is you. Thank you. Thank you. And I think it is, um, you know, when you're talking about why, why your pet, pets matter, and particularly at the moment, like just thinking how much, I mean, for me personally, like I'm, I'm home-based anyway, so I've been really lucky through this that I've just continued working. It's been business as usual, except obviously not travelling and going, you know, to workshops and things like that with my clients, but we've done so much. We've certainly made up for it with online work. But just, you know, for those people who haven't had that luxury um, and they have been in, you know, social isolation when we had a lot of social isolation time here, but probably not as strict, I don't think, as other countries, but that their pets have been that source of comfort, particularly um, that like the dogs with, with getting you out to exercise because we've been allowed to go out and exercise the dogs, you know, take the dog for a walk. So, you know, and there's all sorts of memes about, no, do not take me out for another walk because everyone in the family wanted to take the dog out. Uh, you know, I think the dogs are probably healthier than ever. I think people's gardens and homes are tidier than ever. The, oh, the amount absolutely. of people at the, and isn't at the rubbish too. And that mental health piece, you know, getting out there and doing Absolutely. Different- it's oh, just this decluttering but the pets you know again for those pet owners it has been obviously a source of comfort a source of companionship you know for a lot of people just having something there um you know whether it is that cat that's just sitting beside you or sitting on your lap to provide that sense of comfort the dog that's there that's you know again that sense of comfort and I know you were extra lucky because you had puppies in the middle of all of yours I did I was so <laughs> lucky well. I had puppies. So it was definitely <laughs> the mental health wonder of the world so now you have Absolutely. the book um coping with stress and burnout as a veterinarian, and that's on Amazon. So anyone who's here who wants to read about that and read about how veterinarians, if you're a veterinarian, read it, it's it's a must. But if you're a pet owner, you can also read it because then as Love Your Pet, Love Your Vet really stresses, it's about having that really good relationship with your veterinarian because you love your pet and you need to love your vet so that everybody gets well. And then you're speaking all over the place on these virtual conferences, Where's and you're you have one coming up. Yes, yes. Um, so this, um, when's mine on Thursday? Thursday night. There's one for the, um, I think the Global Veterinary Careers Summit. I think it's called. Um, so it's between the UK, the US, and Australia. So there's. Um, three wonderful colleagues of mine that are putting this together. So I think there's over like 150 speakers um, that are going to be speaking, you know, over the week and they're, they're doing um, like career campfires and, and mine's a career campfire discussion um, that's happening. I think that they're all being recorded and they're still going to be available for up to 12 months afterwards, I think, but don't quote me on that just in case. So if they um, do, send me the link and I'll put it on this podcast. Yes, yes, yes. So I'll um I'll check with the ladies there. I'm pretty sure it is. I think it's up for for a period of time afterwards. Um, yes, and then some some other ones that we're just in the process of finalising at the moment. Some more online conferences and virtual conferences that are happening as well. And you and um, I are doing something for Green Cross in October. Yes, yes, here in Australia. So the Green Cross Vets here in Australia, who's one of our corporates, they're doing their own. Um, symposium so they were actually going to have a conference but obviously that's that got postponed now so that's all going to be online um yeah so they've got they've got a really good lineup 
of that. And so I'm introduced. The conference that you're running, aren't you? That went online. Yes. It was supposed to be in person, and that's in uh, September. It's still, yeah, it's still in person. It's still happening at this stage. Fingers crossed. We're all we're all good for that. So that's the fifth and the sixth of September. Um, the Reach Out Wellbeing Conference for Veterinary Professionals. So that's a two day event here. Um, it's just over the Gold Coast border. So it's at a beautiful, amazingly gorgeous resorts, pretty much right on the beach um, at Kingscliff, which is again, just in Northern New South Wales. Um, so that's yeah, also got a great lineup of speakers. I've got obviously myself, but some other speakers that are coming there, some that are um, mixture of vets, nutritionists, exercise physiologists, leadership experts. Um, my dear friend, Mina from Royal Cannon. So we've got a really, really awesome lineup. Well, you'll send the link for that as well. So that as we wrap up, I'm going to have a ton of links on this second podcast with Dr. Nadine Hamilton. She's all over. She's wonderful, but she really helps veterinarians deal with their mental health. And it isn't a stigma. It really is something that needs to be addressed far and wide Absolutely. so that we lower we lower that curve, like the COVID yes. curve. <laughs> yeah, I love that. that curve, right? Yes, I we love that. that. We need to copyright that. <laughs> Let's do. We, that. Do. we do. We do. <laughs> Thank you, Nadine. This is Deborah Hamilton. Thank you. Thank you all so much for being here for Why Do Pets Matter, the podcast that counts. And until the next session, have a great day. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.